Hello, hello, good day, and welcome to another episode of After School History. I am, as always, your genial host, Anthony J. Ashatino. And it has been a little while. I apologize to my faithful listeners. Um, there have been a variety of things that have come up that have prevented me from recording. And as you know, anyone that's been following me from the past or that knows me in real life, um, I won't do things, anything doing is worth doing right. And I won't give you, my loyal listeners, a half-baked podcast. I won't do it. I insist that every podcast that I put my name to, every podcast that can be traced back to me, uh, must be of the best, okay? It's got to be a quality podcast. And so in the past couple of months, there were some illnesses, there were some issues going on, you know, but... I am back now, and the goal is to continue picking up where we left off with podcasts uh, every Sunday for your uh, personal consumption and, uh, and to feel free to send out there to everyone else. I had a former student of mine actually reached out and asked if it would be okay if he used my podcast um, as part of a history club that he's forming up at his school, and I said, by all means. I said, by all means, go ahead. I said, I love it, you know. And, and again, look, um, as I've said before, I make no money off of these podcasts. I have not signed up for the whole, you know, oh, you get a 1,000, you know, listens and you get $25 or something. Um, I, I'm not in that. I'm not in on that, okay? If I got 100,000 listens, I wouldn't make a, a dime off of this, okay? I do this because... I love it, and because I feel the absolute need for people to to question things, to to bring up issues that I feel need to be brought up, and uh, you know whether you agree with me or not, my hope is that I'm actually making a good enough argument that either you find you're like, well, you know, I kind of agree with that, I hadn't thought about it, or you're like, man, this guy, he doesn't know what the heck he's talking about. But it forces you to confront things. It forces you to deal with the issues I'm bringing up. And, you know, again, as a teacher, which is my profession, you know, my, my goal is not to indoctrinate children. That's, that's not what I do. Um, and this has never been what I've done. It will never be what I do. Uh, my job is to, prevent, uh, to present facts, number one, and then to challenge them, <clears throat> you know, I don't, I don't put my viewpoint, I mean, obviously I have my own views on things, as you are about to hear in a few minutes, uh, but I want kids thinking and challenging norms and challenging authority and challenging what we accept as like, well, this is the truth. Well, you know what? <laughs> Everything is a scientific fact until it's not anymore. You know, I mean, the Milky Way was the only, the only galaxy in the universe until we were like, hey, that, that Andromeda Nebula, guess what? I think it's another galaxy. No, 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 there are no other galaxies. Yeah, and then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, there are, you know, 400 billion galaxies. Um, so <clears throat> that's my job. My job is it's fairly simple. I want people thinking. I want people asking questions. And whatever you end up on, uh, as long as you're ending up on it because you've asked good questions and because you have brought good facts to the table, I'm fine with it. So, let's jump right into this, shall we?
Um, in something that I thought that I'd left behind, and those of you who are of uh, a certain generation listening to this will know, I'm 43. I thought, now I grew up in, in I want to say the 80s, but really late 80s. I was born in 78, so up until the late 80s, I really, you know, the memories are sparse. You know, I mean, I... I, I I don't really remember, you know, the 84 election in the United States. I remember bits and pieces. I remember bombing Libya at some point back then. And, you know, then I remember uh, hearing about Iran-Contra. I remember hearing about that book, The Satanic Verses. I remember we walked in front of a bookstore in, um, I want to say it was uh, Woodbridge Mall at the time in New Jersey, where if you're from New Jersey, you know Woodbridge Center Mall. There was a bookstore there, and they had the satanic verses. And I remember my mother warning me. She was like, no, 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 don't go near that. Don't go near that. Stay away from that. Like, as if going near the book somehow would, would uh, you know, send a, a message, and people would come after me and kill me. And, I, of course, none of that happened. Um, but the point was that um, by the 90s, when I was actually, you know, going to high school and whatnot, you know, middle school, high school, when I was fully aware of what was going on, I thought that the threat of nuclear war was over. It did. I was like, well, the Soviet Union's falling apart here. That's, uh, that pretty much means that we don't have to worry about nuclear war anymore. Huzzah, huzzah. Um, it's like that final scene from Blackadder, you know? Huzzah, the war is over. Um, and it was. And since about 1990, up until, oh, I don't know, 2022... I was never really worried about nuclear war. I wasn't worried about the Korean, the North Koreans. I'm sorry, South Korean fans of mine, and I'm not talking to you. But North Korea threatening stuff. I mean, you know, I, I guess if you're a fishing boat in the Sea of Japan, yeah, then you got to worry about things, okay? And I would advise you to get the heck out of there before one of these errant missiles hits you. But there was never any threat. I mean, either people, what about Iran? You know, okay, well, Iran... You know, I mean, they could hit Israel. It would be a terrible, terrible idea because the Israelis would turn around and wipe them off the face of the earth. But, you know, I wasn't worried because I was like, look, Russia's going to do their thing. We're doing our thing. No one's interested in nuclear war anymore. But now we are. Now we are. And it's because of a madman in the Kremlin. Now, before you ask, wait a minute, you're going to have to be a little more specific than that. Okay. Uh, Vladimir Putin. Putin is an absolute madman. Now, he was in defense. He was a madman before. But because he wasn't doing a whole lot, because it was just kind of minor things, we were willing to tolerate it. But if you've been following the news, and I have to assume any of you listening to me are intelligent enough to have been following the news, he's launched a full-scale invasion of Ukraine. Now, to put this in perspective, and I know, listen, I know. I was listening the other day uh, on the radio on the way to school. Uh, Ebro in the morning, Laura Stiles, Rosenberg, they were talking about how, you know, listen, it's because it's Europe. All of a sudden, now everyone's panicky. When other countries have been bombed, when other civilians have been killed, when other, you know, places have been invaded, people are just like, uh huh, yeah, Syria is being decimated by, you know, Russian forces. But, you know, I mean, come on, they're Syrians. I mean, <laughs> we all know, you know, whatever. Uh, now, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, my God, white Europeans are being killed. Now it's time to go into panic mode. I do, I do feel that. I do feel that, uh, I, you know, a bit. But 
at the same time, you're also dealing with the, the fact that, yes, there were terrible things that were done, and we should have stood against it. We should have, okay? And unlike some people, I will come out there and call out presidents no matter who they are. I will say that, you know, President Obama could have done more, okay? Big fan of President Obama, but I'll tell you, he could have done more. There were things, and I'm sure if President Obama showed up at my door right now, okay, and said, uh, you know, well, uh, Ash, I'd like to sit down with you and have a little bit of a conversation about this. I'm sure he would be like, listen, I did the best I could at the time. I didn't know everything involved, and, you know, we all make mistakes. And I'd be like, no, I get it, Mr. President. I totally get it. It's, you know, that happens. But right now what you've got is you've got a full-on invasion of a sovereign country with the attempt to erase that country. Putin has spoken about getting rid of Ukrainian statehood. Um, you can't do that. It is against international law. And it is, it is something that we don't tolerate anymore. Shamefully, we did at one point, you know, it was, you know, you go to war, you conquer someone, they're yours. Congratulations. You know, here you go. Here's, here's the title indeed. But, you know, this is just, this is outrageous. It's outrageous. Second of all, the amount of war crimes being committed here are on a level that we haven't seen in, I mean, my goodness, you know, you have to go, you honestly have to go back to, um... Oh, my God. I, I mean, on, on, on a state-sponsored level, here's the difference. You can get war crimes where individuals are running around doing things, killing people and, you know, beheading people and, and seizing property. But state-sponsored, like military-sponsored war crimes, you have to go back to really the, the Balkan Wars of the, uh, the 90s, okay, to have state-sponsored, you know, slaughtering people. I mean... There was an attempt at genocide in the Balkans. Uh, thankfully, they were not successful, but damned if they didn't try it, okay? And the Serbians really did try it at that point. It was not successful at the end, but you've now got this effort, and you've got, you know, yes, what have we done? We've, we've levied sanctions, and they are crippling sanctions. Don't get me wrong. They are crippling sanctions against Russia. They will have their toll, Okay. But in the meantime, they're still using things like cluster bombs, vacuum bombs. They're shooting people. I mean, the other day they agreed to allow for refugees to escape through certain safe quarters, and they started bombing them. I mean, you know, again, I would say to the Russians, this is not how you win friends and influence people, okay? Once you show that you are going to attack fleeing civilians, people are going to harden their stance. The Ukrainians have been phenomenal. I tell you what, I, I, it, one of my dreams is one day I'll be able to shake President Zelensky's hand to be in his presence and just be like, you know what, I, I'm in awe of you, sir. There's an old saying, comes the moment, comes the man. And right here, despite everything, you know, everyone's like, oh, you used to be a comedian and this and that. Yeah, well, you know what? Let me tell you something. Maybe he, used to, he was a comedian. Not maybe he used to be, but maybe he, he never intended to be in this situation. But he ran for president. And, he's, and now with the full Russian invasion, he's done a phenomenal job. I mean, he is there. I mean, he's refusing to leave. When the U.S. offered him a way out, he said, 
I don't need a ride. I, I, don't, I need ammunition, okay? He's been begging for planes to fight back this, the Russians. I almost said Soviets. By the way, full disclosure, um, there's a possibility during this podcast I may say Soviets instead of Russians. At this point right now, it's almost really like, <laughs> what's the difference, okay? But, you know, he has shown his leadership, and the people of Ukraine are rallying behind him. We talk about things in the military, not that I've ever been in the military, full disclosure, but there's talk in military talk about things like force multipliers, okay? Things that can create an advantage for your, your forces. For example, if you have less troops than the other guys have, but you hold the high ground, you have morale, you have better weaponry. This is force multipliers. Um, in this case right here, I mean, the Ukrainians are... They're not leaving. They're not surrendering. They're basically telling the Russians, listen, come at us. Come at us. Bring your A-game, because I'll tell you what, we're bringing ours, okay? And we're not going to surrender, and we're not going to give up. And, you know, this is the thing with Russia. Their military, you know, again, it's one of these situations where it's like, oh, man, the Russian military, blah, blah, blah. We're finding right now that this military is, is you want to talk paper tigers, the Russian military is the biggest paper tiger there is. I mean, they have nothing but conscripts, okay, who don't want to be there, who were lied to. They were lied to. They were told they were going on maneuvers. These poor boys, and I say that, yes, I do, okay? These poor boys, okay, were sent out there to uh, on a mission. They weren't given enough food, enough fuel. I mean, the Russian armored units are stalling left and right because they don't have fuel, the soldiers are going door to door demanding food. This is this is a disgrace for any military, much less a vaunted military. The people are talking about right there. They still haven't established air superiority a week afterwards. And let me tell you something: if you cannot establish air superiority after a week, your air force sucks. Okay, or the opposing air force is phenomenal. And the fact that the Ukrainians are begging for planes, which, by the way, they're going to get. It's just a matter of when, when they're going to. But the Russians, I mean, geez, Marie, you know, you guys were once, at one point, you had some of the best fighter aircraft, air superior aircraft, and, and uh, you know, uh, air-to-ground attack craft in the world. I mean, th they weren't the best, but they were right up there with them, Okay. And now it's like your planes are getting shot down. You cannot establish air superiority against a country that, you know, has very few planes right now. Um, that's that's no good. You know, they're 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 out of fuel. They're bringing in civilian vehicles to try and bring stuff to the front line. But let me tell you something. It's the muddy season over there. OK, it's the muddy season. Good luck with that. I hope that all your vehicles have four-wheel drive and uh, and tracks. Well, they don't have tracks. Hopefully they all have four-wheel drive. Otherwise, you're in a world of hurt right there, okay? And the longer this thing goes on, the greater the chances that Ukraine will end up coming out on top. This thing was supposed to be over already, okay? It was supposed to be a Russian victory. Putin beheld as a hero and a savior, but it's not. They've run into a people who are not surrendering. And let me tell you something. 
There's no one else. Who else are you going to attack? Are you going to attack Moldova? I guess you could, but that would require you to spend even more fuel and even more munitions and shift soldiers away from Ukraine to attack them. And the Moldovans, you know, again, I, I can't say this with certainty, but I could probably place a decent bet. At this point, they would be like, yeah, screw you. We see what the Ukrainians are doing. You're not taking our place back. What are you going to do otherwise? Belarus is not even coming in. And Belarus is governed by one of the you know, few remaining dictators of Europe. Okay, And uh, he needs to be removed forthwith. Okay, Don't think that we haven't forgotten about that time when you had that flight diverted so that you could land it and then capture a couple of... Uh, you know, a couple of people had spoken out against you. And then you beat and tortured that poor journalist until, you know, you made him go online and, and you know, give a confession speech. Nobody believes that, okay? Nobody believes that. You know what? You beat someone and torture someone enough, they're going to say anything you want them to do because pain is a phenomenal motivator, okay? Go read 1984. I feel like I say that almost every other podcast. If you haven't read 1984, go read 1984, okay? But I'll tell you what, everyone knows you're lying. Everyone knows you're full of it. You're doing it for what? At what point does this become simply an exercise in futility? That you're doing these things for who? Where's, where's your consumption? Belarusians, they already know you're full of it. They know that this is not true. You know, you're doing it just to humiliate him. He knows it's not true. He's doing it because after a certain point, you know, again, pain becomes something that motivates people. I've always said this is one of my major arguments against torture, which I've said time and time again on this podcast. (laughs) You could torture me and I will start confessing to things that happened before I was born. I will start confessing to things that will happen in the future before they've happened. You know, I borrowed President Obama's time machine. I, I, I'm, I'm very bad with pain, okay? To quote the great American philosopher Daffy Duck, you know, I'm not like most people. I don't like pain. It hurts me, okay? That's that. So, you know, you're going to do this thing. Again, everyone knows it's falsified. And what, are you, what else are you going to do? You're going to do something against Poland? First of all, Poland is a member of NATO, So you want to attack a member of NATO, they're going to invoke Article 5, and all NATO uh, countries are going to gang up on you. At which point, there are two things. Number one, let me tell you something. If you don't know any Polish people, bring up Russia to Polish people, all right? And then get yourself, uh, you know... A cup of tea, a cup of coffee, a shot of something strong, because I'll tell you what, they have some choice words for the Russians. Second of all, the Poles are some of the best fighters in all of Europe, and they always have been, okay? I mean, they they almost had Germany. One of the biggest things in World War II, Poland collapsed in three weeks. Yeah, but there was a point where they were, they almost had the Germans in a standstill until the Russians invaded them from, you know, the other angle, and then they had to retreat. But, there, you know, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't an absolute thing. Uh, second of all, you know, don't even go into the partitions of Poland. If you don't know what they are, go look up partitions of Poland, okay? Uh, but they've been waiting for this kind of stuff. They've been waiting to go out there and wade into, you know, Russian forces. 
uh, or it's going to result in Russia using nuclear weapons. Now, this is the thing I know a lot of my students are very concerned about this. And I don't blame them. I don't blame them. They never grew up. If you are, you know, 15, 16 years old and you're listening to this podcast, you never grew up with this threat of nuclear Armageddon. You never grew up with this idea that, you know, a missile could hit, you know, I'm in New Jersey, a missile could hit uh, northern Jersey. And not only uh, destroy a tremendous amount of area, but you're talking about the blast wave, and then you're talking about radiation. It's been years since we've had to deal with this. I get it. One would hope that that would never happen, but with Putin, I don't know that it won't. So the really, the only reasonable thing to hope for is that someone within his own government someone decides this has gone on long enough and decides to take matters into their own hand. And um, I am, you know, it is against U.S. Uh, policy, thanks to uh, St. Ronald of Reagan, as many people call him, though today he wouldn't win a Republican primary. Uh, Ronald Reagan was the one that said, we're not going to assassinate any foreign leaders. We're going to make that part of our foreign policy. So we're not going to assassinate Putin. We're not going to. It's not going to happen. But if someone in Russia decided we're done with this, we're losing too much money, we're losing too many men, we're being embarrassed on the international scene, um, that could end things. That could end things tomorrow. I don't want nuclear war by any means at all would we win no nobody wins in a nuclear war it's simply a matter of who survives and then you're talking about and people keep forgetting this is like oh okay well we'd nuke more of them than us well what about nuclear winter what about when now you know you've lost 30 million people in the united states let's say we win the war right we we out nuke the russians we win the war. We got 30 million plus dead. We've got all sorts of cities completely under radiation. But then we've got a nuclear winter, which for those of you youngsters who don't know this, that's when um, there is a layer of basically, you know, ash and whatnot up in the, the, the atmosphere that partly blocks the sun's rays out. So now all of a sudden we're not growing crops at anywhere close to the level that we were. So now you're talking about famine. How many people does the famine kill? What does the cost of food go up to? What does the cost of a loaf of bread go up to? Animals? No, they're either dead or irradiated. I mean, maybe you got chickens. You want to eat a chicken that's been completely irradiated that you're going to get a high dose of uh, a high dose of, uh, 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 you know, radiation from eating the chicken? No, of course not. No one would. So it's not just something, it, it, again, it's something that could end up becoming a 30, 40-year issue. And we're going to talk about millions and millions and tens of millions of people dying. And nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. But if Putin feels 
that he is going down, he may be like, well, you know what? It's not worth it. It, it reminds me, in a sense, God, I, I just, as a historian, you just, unfortunately, you have so many things that things remind you of, but it reminds me of how um, Joseph Goebbels and his wife when the final days of the Third Reich were going on in the bunker in 1945, uh, they had seven children. And they had all of them poisoned and killed. They killed their own children. Well, they didn't personally because they were too cowardly. The doctor, they gave them a sedative at dinner. And then when they were half asleep, the doctor came and administered the final blow to them. And they did it because they said, our children would not want to live in a world without Hitler. Who asked them? You don't want to live... <coughs> I'm sorry. You don't want to live in a world without his Hitler. Go kill yourself. But maybe, just maybe, your kids are a little more open-minded than you are. And we have that in so many ways there are so many examples of uh, you know kids who uh, of of people that you know they end up coming out i remember uh, it was amon geth's uh, granddaughter um she was the result of uh, i think it was an interracial marriage and she wrote something my grandfather would have had me executed you know and this is the thing with with uh, putin it becomes a case of like well you know what life is not worth living if I can't be here, if Russia can't be a major power. And, you know, that's been uh, echoed by some of their propaganda ministry. And, I mean, even when Germany was retreating from Paris, uh, Hitler ordered Paris to be destroyed. And the German officers that were in charge of it just refused to do it. Because they recognized that Paris is a city of culture, is a city of art. And they were like, we've lost. Why are we going to destroy the world along with us? The world is going to go on after this. It will. Why are we going to do this? And they didn't do it, okay? They didn't do it. They left Paris, thank goodness, because Paris has a tremendous amount of, of stuff in it that is both of artistic, cultural, social value. You know, it, it really is. But, you know, again, this is what happens when madmen reach the end of their tether. And Putin is certainly there. And, you know, maybe he's in his own little bunker right now. It could be. Where he's, he's billowing out orders to the different, uh, you know, officers. I mean, the Russians in some of these cities are already shooting civilians that come out. Um, in the South, there are rumors, that, and, and not just rumors, but there are rumors, but, and there are also facts. The facts in some of these cities are that there is no longer any reliable supply of water and food, and people that go out to try and get that are being shot by Russian soldiers. So again, war crimes are us, okay? Uh, but, you know, you can say, well, they'll be punished. Yeah, they, they will be punished. But for the time being... You've still got people that are starving, people that are dying, people that, you know, have thirst, and you're killing them, okay? And unfortunately, Ukraine doesn't have the ability to launch counterattacks yet to try and 
kick the Russians out. They're doing a phenomenal job on defense. I was reading, by, and by the way, for those of you listening to this, I'm going to make a pitch right now, and I usually don't in my podcast, but Ukraine is accepting a foreign legion, basically. Foreign people, foreign citizens who want to come and help defend Ukraine. If you have any military abilities or law enforcement abilities, um, I strongly encourage you to go out there if you can and if you want and join up. All you have to do is contact the local Ukrainian consulate or embassy where you are, um, especially in the United States. They will give you a little bit of a, uh, you know, a, a questionnaire, a quiz, and then you go out there, okay? And you can take part of it. They've so far gotten over 20,000 foreigners who have volunteered to fight for them. It reminds you of the George Washington Abraham Lincoln brigades from uh, the Spanish Civil War, okay, who went out there, George Orwell, you know, one of them, Ernest Hemingway, went out there and, and fought for what was right. Now, I mean, you might not be able to fight. Maybe you're a medic. Maybe you're someone who's very familiar with logistics and you can help put together uh, logistics for the, you know, all of the aid that's coming in. You know, I always say, I was like, if I was 20 years younger and I didn't have, you know, the health issues I have right now, man, I would, I would so be out there. It would remind me of my days, you know, in, in the Middle East. But, um, you know, unfortunately, I think I would be more of a, a drain on them. Uh, so that's why I'm doing my bit on the home front to support them and to help them and, you know, trying to get people to donate money, which, which definitely you can do. Make sure you're donating it to the right places because you don't want to donate to one of these fraudulent places. And believe me, the Russians right now are, uh, you know, they're they're setting up stuff that looks like you're donating to Ukraine. You're not. You're donating to uh, Mother Russia. But, um, you know, you, you do what you can. Everyone does what they can, okay? Everyone does what they can. And so it reminds me of Milton, you know, the Paradise Lost. Um, so... You know, but if you have the ability and you can go out there to fight, by all means, you know, this is a very noble cause. You're fighting for a democracy, for a peaceful democracy against a fascist regime that is determined to impose their will. I mean, this is basically World War II all over again. And before people start being like, no, it's not World War II. No, it, it really is. I mean, in World War II, Poland was a peaceful democratic regime that was attacked by the Nazis and then, uh, you know, two weeks later by the Soviets and crushed, okay? Um, but, you know, that was it. They were determined to wage that war and they were determined to win that territory. And they did. Now here we've got a chance to to force Russia back, to fight them back. And we can do it. We can. But it's going to take a lot of people. And we've got weapons going over there. We've got munitions going over there. We've got things like bulletproof vests going over there. Um, we've got, I saw today on the news, there was an 11-year-old girl, bless her heart, who was filling sandbags in, helping to fill sandbags to, to, you know, prevent Russian forces from going through. This is what you've done, Putin and Russia. You've gotten it to the point where 11-year-olds are now out on the front lines. Grandmothers are making Molotov cocktails. I mean, they're, they're literally like, okay, listen, maybe we can't fight on the front lines, 
But here's the bottom line. We're going to make you 100 Molotov cocktails, and then we're going to give them to some of you boys, you know, who, who have an arm that can freaking throw them at the Russian uh, forces. And that's that. Okay? So I think that, you know, it, it, it's definitely something worth fighting for. It really is. It's something worth fighting for, and it's something that I think, you know, going forward, whatever the outcome is, it won't be anything which you should be ashamed of, okay? Do what you can for Ukraine. Do what you can. So, I guess to end things off here, like I said, I'm going to try and be much more um, an advocate uh, going forward every Sunday now. Uh, If you... If you want, I haven't written for a while, and I know I bring this up sporadically, but I do have a blog out there, and I haven't written something in years now for it. But I did it one time. I I used to write for um, Rutgers uh, Newark, the the, the paper there, the Rutgers Newark paper, uh, student paper. And um, I used to – Sarah Rahman was the uh, editor-in-chief. And uh, Sarah, wherever you are, I hope you're doing well. But I used to have a column called – Quidridis, uh, uh, fabula narrator, which means, what are you laughing at? The joke's on you. It's a Latin statement. Uh, but I used to write every week uh, for them. And I then, after I graduated, I put all of my writings up there. And then I continued writing for a while. And then, you know, I, I kind of, things happened, life happened. And I didn't for a long time. And I would write some stuff sporadically. And then, of course, I started with the podcast. And... But I really, I always have the urge to continue writing for them. I do. I have the, the urge to continue writing. But you can check it out. It's, uh, it's uh, venusvictrix. Uh, uh, of course, Venus, the, the name, the, the goddess, and also the planet. Uh, Victrix, you know, uh, V-I-C-T-R-I-X. Uh, uh, WordPress. It's a WordPress thing. So it's venusvictrix.wordpress.com, I think. Not 100% sure. But if you go up and you look up uh, Quid Rita's Deity Fabula Narrator, um, D-E-T-E-F-A-B-U-L-A-N-A-R-A-T-U-R, um, if you look that up, you'll find all of my past stuff. And I, I, I have some interesting things up there as well you might, you might get a kick out of. In any case, I wish all of you happiness and uh, a healthy week coming up. And uh, happy, healthy, and wise, and safe. And um, hopefully by next week, uh, we haven't all been nuked into oblivion. Uh, I do reserve the following, and maybe I have to start making this my thing. If there is a nuclear attack, I will probably be late a week on my podcast. Um, But if there is not, I'm going to, like I said, now that things are kind of falling back into the order of of things, I will try and be every Sunday, put stuff out there. I know I'm very... Appreciative. I've gotten a lot of hits on some of my past podcasts, especially the last one on the Second Bloody Amendment. I love it. You know, I want to make this out there to people. But um, please, you know, feel free, by the way, to send this to your friends, coworkers, anyone out there. Uh, and that's that. So uh, here we go into March. And uh, I wish all of you well. And I will talk to you all next week. Bye bye.